Welcome to The Honest Uproar, a podcast where modern, child-free women share their life stories and where we discuss important topics for the kid-free community. I'm Isabel, your host and founder and firebrand of The Uprising Spark, a digital platform that offers life coaching products and services for modern, independent, child-free women. Our aim is to build a strong female community and to connect empowered women around the globe. Hello, Firecrackers, and welcome to a new episode of The Honest Uproar. Uh, my guest today is Amy. And hi. Hi. I'm so happy to have you here. Amy is an author, and she's also the host of uh, Actual Therapy. Actual Therapy. And Transformations. Um, my podcast is called Actual Transformations, and I have a company and a practice called Actual Therapy and Coaching. Tell us more about that. Tell us more about yourself, whatever you want to share with our audience. Sure. So I am a psychotherapist and a coach, and I work with people who are emotionally intense or just all around intense, really. Um, so people who have always felt like they don't really fit in, or maybe they have been told that they were too much, they see too much, they hear too much, too sensitive, too dramatic too overbearing, too emotional. And I work with people to help them understand that there is nothing wrong with them just because they were misunderstood or misjudged most of the time doesn't mean they need to carry shame all their lives. So that's my main thing. And yeah, I've recently started a podcast called Excel Transformations. And I interview people about emotional intensity, I had you on and not just talk about emotions, but also all sorts of topic, topics about coming out as who you really are, authenticity, resilience, trauma. So that's what I do. Yeah, that and was yes. really good, um, really good experience being in your podcast. Mm, yeah, it was fun. Because I think it's a safe space. I mean, I felt like I could just talk to you about, you know, what I mm. thought made made me a little bit emotionally <laughs> intense, mm. and it's refreshing. I think there there aren't many people talking about you know this subject out there, are there? No, there aren't. I mean, there are some overlapping topics. Um, the work by Elaine Aaron about highly sensitive people have been very popular lately, and also the concept of being an empath. Um, I coined the term emotional intensity because I think there is a dimension that is not covered by these concepts. They overlap, but they are also different. Mm -hmm. And what led you to focus on this type of work in your field? Oh, you can guess. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Personal experience. Um, I've always felt very different. I didn't fit in. I was always criticized for being too dramatic, too sensitive to this, to that. And it wasn't until I was in my 20s that I realized, okay, these are some specific traits that I have. And it turns out I am not alone. And just because I am different from the mainstream doesn't mean there's something wrong with me. So my own personal journey has led me to want to help others who are also intense. Could you tell us a little bit more about how it was to grow up uh, with intense emotions? Yeah, absolutely. If I were to sum it up in a few words, um, I suppose lonely would be one of them. 
turbulent and full of shame. Now, I don't think all of that is about intensity. And I know there are many intense people who have very happy childhood. Um, my parents were rather preoccupied when I was growing up. My mother had mental illness and they just, they had their handfuls. And while, while they had the best intention, um, I think I also naturally were just extremely sensitive and needed quite a lot of um, love and care and attention. So it was lonely and I felt different to my peers. I felt older than I actually was. I didn't have a lot of friends. So all that made me internalize quite a lot of feeling of shame and, and guilt. Um, guilty about what? I don't know. It's not even rational. I just, my, my self-esteem was really low growing up and all these turned into a series of um, eating disorder issue when I was a teenager and I was quite depressed when I was younger. Mm-hmm. I was never officially diagnosed with much of anything, um, but I certainly struggled. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about, now, now that you um, mentioned mm-hmm. self-esteem, let's talk a little bit more about how your journey has been, because I just heard you say I had very low self-esteem when I was young, which I think yeah. is in general what most people would say uh, for mm-hmm. many different reasons, of course. But how has that evolved in time and what has helped you get to where you are now? I think coming out and recognizing who I was was the biggest turning point. So, well, finding a therapist Mm -hmm. (laughs) who was a very, or coach, you know, just anyone who could be your supportive ally, um, that is a big piece of the equation. I really think it's about, so I used to have very low self-esteem because I assumed everything was my fault, that there was some kind of flaws in my personality, that I wasn't pretty enough, I was rejected because I was not cool enough. But um, on realizing that what I have is intensity, I get to rewrite my script. Everything that had happened made sense. It didn't take away the emotional pain of being misunderstood when I was younger. But what I did make sense, the fact that I was so rebellious that I couldn't sit still in the classroom, the, the fact that I had to break the rules, the fact that I loved the library so much, all these things make sense. And, it, you know, it's like the ugly duckling story where, you know, I realized I was not an ugly duckling. I was something else and I tried to fit in. So that was the biggest turning point. And it's not an overnight thing because even after a cognitive realization, it takes some time to come out and be who you are and be assertive and to own your place in the world and to speak up with your own voice. Yeah, I think it takes work, but it's totally worth it just to understand who you are. And it's, you know, very much on the topic of being child-free as well, you know, realizing who you are, really having sat down and understand these are my values. This is why I want to do these things. That really gives you a lot of confidence. So no matter what other people say or what the norm dictates, you get to pick and you get to have a strong spine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, before we get into the child-free subject, um, mm. there's something, I mean, I just, I just felt that. Seriously, like I completely connected yeah. to what you just said because I felt the exact same way when I was a kid. Mm. I also used to spend a lot of the time in the library and just felt really different. But uh, I guess my question is, 
you asked me when we had our podcast interview for eggshell mm. transformations mm. Um, what I thought the word authenticity is. And I think you've said it a couple of times already. And I think it's very important to give it a face, you know, to what do you think, like in your, from your perspective, how would you define authenticity or being authentic? Is that a question? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, how would I... It's, it's, it, ah, you've just made me realize I ask all my... Not all, but I ask a lot of my guests this question and I've never actually thought about it myself. <laughs> um, let me just have a think. Yeah, take your time. Authenticity. I think it comes in different dimensions. There is the outer and the inner. And sometimes people, when we, when we talk about authenticity, we talk about how we present ourselves in the world, honestly. But I think there is a lot of inner work that has to be done. We, all of us, um, and Cao Yong says this, and many great philosophers have understood this, out of no one's fault, we all carry some kind of family or parent, parental baggages. And we love our you know we naturally children naturally want to please all children want to please and sometimes we still carry that need to please the big authorities um be it our parents or the teachers or whatever authority we have internalized and we also want to fit in that's a, a part of a fundamental human needs and sometimes we have um absorbed beliefs or ideas about what we need to do in order to fit in they may not always be reality based or they were at some point reality based but no longer for example when i was younger in school having the you know being the prettiest girl and having the newest handbag to to take to school would make you the most popular girl it would put you on the higher rank in in the um social ranking mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, higher position that might have actually been the reality. But I need to do some work to understand that it's no longer the reality now. And it would be silly of me if I stick to that idea and continue to be obsessed about these things. Um, That's a very long-winded answer to say, I think inner authenticity is about discovering your true self, uh, understanding that we have all got uh, an adapted self that we have developed out of a very honorable mission to fit in, to be a part of the world and to be loved. However, that adapted self that we have developed may not serve us today. And it takes courage because we have believed all these things for many, many years. And sometimes we don't even realize we have adopted some other people's or other authorities' belief. We thought they were ours. But then we also have a soul, if you allow me to use that language, that our true self will come out. You know, they inevitably do. So lots of people suffer from a midlife depression, crisis. Um, that's when our true self is itching, dying to break through and come out. And so we can be thrust into a crisis, an existential crisis of not knowing who we are. And we may even be depressed for a while. But then eventually we will be able to find that it turns out we can go back to who we fundamentally are. It all sounds very vague, but I just see it again and again in people, be it a big job, career change, a divorce, changing where people live. It's, um, it takes a lot of courage, mm-hmm. but it ultimately serves us. Hmm. 
Well, I hear the so, word change. Yeah. Yes. Change. And I, I mean, I think, I think that change when it is, when it comes from within somebody, mm. uh, it prompts, I mean, that person to get closer to their authentic self, I would say. Mm. Unless change is thrusted upon you um, and it is your choice. And I mm. think that takes courage. Yeah. Uh, normally we would, you know, gravitate towards the things that are actually make us passionate and what we really want to do or who we really want to be in this world. Would you agree? Yes. Yes, absolutely. So we always have the choice to respond to whatever life throws at us. And sometimes we, um, we manufacture opportunities unconsciously without knowing, you know, our soul might be itching for some change. And then we create a situation that seems to be coming from the outside when actually we have created it on some level. Yeah. So, Amy, let's talk a little bit about uh, your choice to be child-free. Sure. Um, I have, mm, when I was younger, my dream or a vague vision has always been I want to have an orphanage. Now, I know that it's not even a politically correct term anymore, and there has been a lot of controversies about whether or not that actually served anyone. I'm not going to get into all of that. Something along the line of children's home or facilities that help, you know, where you have a bunch of, you know, <laughs> similar facilities. Um, that was when I was younger. And like all good little girl, I grew up seeing other people find a partner and get married. I'm now in my 30s and I do think I face a lot of cultural and society pressure to be settled, to be married and to already have children. Whenever I go back home, you know, all well-meaning aunties, uncles and everyone who loves me, they are very curious about whether or not I have a partner. Are they a straight partner? Because I, you know, used to have girlfriends and and whether or not I'm heading down that trajectory. I suppose this ties in with everything that we have been talking about, authenticity. It's incredibly difficult to walk away from that script. But I just never really have a strong yearning to have my own child. I think if I were to use a metaphor, I've always been much more drawn to the identity or to the idea of a village, of a community, rather than a nuclear family. And it's very hard for me to even admit that because I have worked through self-downs. Am, am I sure? Um, it doesn't help that it's difficult to find champion. It's hard that it's not a common model. It's not a common model for happiness and success. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I just never have the longing. It's a huge task. It's a huge responsibility. I am a therapist, so I work with people with children or, or they have childhood where they were deprived. So I know it is a huge responsibility and a huge task. And I want to be sure that I want to do it if I were to do it. And I, I just, I mean, I'm not shutting down any doors because all of us, we have the right to change our minds. So everything that I'm saying today, I can change my mind tomorrow. I reserve the right to change my mind <laughs> tomorrow. But for now, I haven't experienced a burning yearning and longing to have my own biological child. Um, that doesn't mean I don't love children. 
that doesn't mean I don't want to be surrounded by children even, but it may just be a different model. And I'm not clear about any of that, about, you know, how I'm going to execute my life plan or what do I have for, I don't know, a replacement, if, if that's the word you use. Um, but I know that it's not what I want in the next a year or two years for myself. Mm-hmm. And that's very valid. <laughs> Everyone has a different life path. And of course, you are entitled to change your mind. You're listening to The Honest Uproar, a podcast where modern, child-free women share their life stories and where we discuss important topics for the kid-free community. Have you seen, I mean, from your patients, have you encountered child-free women? Yes. Yes. Quite a lot of them. And they all um, experience a similar struggle. And we have many conversations about it. Some of them are further along in the journey to claim their own path. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them have, have more doubts. Now, I don't think there's any problem with doubts. I think doubt is a good thing. It's, it's because you're figuring it out. It's, it's good to doubt and to think about things. But it's not good if you feel like a victim of the circumstances and being stuck in a place where you're unable to digest the grief um, and being stuck in resentment for, for I mean, there's no, there's no timeline to grief, so I don't mean that. But it's, it's, um, it's not a good place to be. If you're in a no man's land where you're not committed, but then you're grieving and then you're not clear about what you actually want. And I think everyone, all of us should take some time to do some inner work to figure out what is it that we want? What is it that we value? And if there are things we need to grieve, we grieve it. We're not going to pressure ourselves and give ourselves a timeline for grieving, but um, we do that and then we move on based on what we have. Mm-hmm. Well, that's something I wish more parents would do, <laughs> honestly, uh, because I think that many people who decide to have children just do it out of a whim, in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't really think what the consequences of parenting are. And on that note, have you ever had any patients who are parents who are now regretting being parents? Mm, not, not that they say it that way. And I wonder if it is because the society script um, doesn't permit that. You know, they can't say that they regret it. I certainly help my clients who are parents to digest their anger. I think it is healthy to feel regrets. It's healthy to feel anger. Now, it might sound controversial, but what I'm trying to say is your feelings. We always have very complex feelings when it comes to being a parent, and it's all of them are natural. You can love your child and be angry at them. It's healthy. It's not that, you know, because I love my child, I never feel angry or resentful. That's not true. You can love someone and be angry, and you can at times feel regretful, but at other times be grateful. We don't have to be just one thing. So... Yeah, a quick answer is no. I don't know if that means they never feel that way. I, my suspicion is not. And I think it's okay if you sometimes feel that way. It's a feeling. It's not an action. It's not a reality. It's a feeling. 
Mm-hmm. So if you have that feeling, honor that feeling. It's okay. And how do you honor a feeling? You honor a feeling by, ooh, this is a big question. We have to first recognize the feelings. And, it, and for many of us, it takes some work. Oh, I feel that way. What is it that I'm feeling? And give it a name. I think many of us don't even have the facilities to name our feelings. Is this anger? Is this sadness? It's all mixed up. And then we be very gentle and compassionate with ourselves. We practice being the observer of our feelings rather than drowning in them. We can imagine ourselves as the ocean and the feelings as the waves, as um, the Buddhist often says, that we are the sky and the feelings are the clouds. So rather than being carried away, we just go, ah, okay, I have that feeling. The feeling may pass. The feeling doesn't always represent reality. Just because I feel like my life is over doesn't mean it is. (laughs) Just because I feel angry towards someone doesn't mean the relationship is over. A feeling is a feeling and the feeling is a message. It's telling us something. We can take the message and then gently release the feelings and say, thank you, feeling. I've got what you want to tell me. Wow. Well, that's, uh, that's very deep and I like it. I mean, I try to, I think it's very important that people in general, just give themselves the time to check in with themselves. Um, I try to do that every morning. I wake up and uh, I just stay in bed for five minutes before I start my day. And I'm like, okay, how am I feeling today? And just, you know, breathing and feeling what it is that, um, because sometimes, you know, you wake up cranky or you wake up really happy or you wake up sad. And it's like, just to make sure that whatever it is that I'm feeling, um, I'm not going to pressure myself into just getting out of it, but really why is this being caused? Or if I don't know why it, what is causing it, then it doesn't matter what's causing it. I just have to um, flow with it basically. And I mm. think it's important to give yourself that space. Um, and I think that's part of self, self-care. And Absolutely. a lot of people don't even, they don't even get in touch with their feelings. So, okay, now that we're talking, this is, I just thought of this because it's funny have we have been talking about feelings and intensity and i've had two boyfriends not at the same time <laughs> but <laughs> you are now two <laughs> two boyfriends go um yeah. who have been absolutely unable unable to express their feelings in in a how do you say it um in a in a clear, concise, and vocal way. Yeah. So Did they then act it out. Yeah, uh, sometimes. But for me, it's worrying to see because I, it's not only them. I've seen it in other people. It's worrying to see yeah. that there are human beings that just repress their feelings. They don't really want to get in touch with them. And mm. I wonder what would the negative consequences of that are mm-hmm. yeah especially men in our culture they haven't been taught how to it's just you know a cultural dictates that it's just harder for people to talk about their feelings in a direct way and so we end up acting out <laughs> in ways that ourselves or other people don't really expect or we feel like we lose control because we have suppressed feelings that are now acting out. Um, I think people struggle a lot with anger. We are, by and large, 
not able to have a way of honoring and healthily expressing it, we either do it to one extreme or we suppress it too much. Yeah. Sorry, what was your question? (laughs) (laughs) I think you you actually answered it. I mean, because you and I were people who feel a lot, right? We have intense feelings. Well, this is what I gather from what you told me and what I told sure. you as well in our podcast. Certainly do, yeah. Both feel intense feelings and we have learned how to not control them, how to just let them be and mm. get in touch with them and be, you, you just use a word that I think is wonderful, um, be compassionate with ourselves. So I don't understand people who don't express their feelings. Do you feel that they don't, do you think they don't feel the feelings or they don't express it? No, I think they don't express it. I mean, of course they do feel them. Mm, Because then, you know, there are people who are numb out as well, where they can't even get in touch with their own feeling. Isn't that like the definition of of a sociopath? It, it, you can be numb towards your feelings without being a sociopath. You know, a lot of people who are severely traumatized just walk around feeling very numb. and they want to feel, they want to feel love and joy and connection, but they really struggle to. So there's that. Um, and then there is people who feel a lot, but really struggle to have a channel to express it. So they might punch a wall, but they can't say, hi, I feel angry. Can we talk about this? <laughs> or they become very passive aggressive or depressed and unmotivated without being able to have a way you don't have to talk to someone i mean talking to someone is very good but if you can't you you can draw you can sing you can write or you can just tell yourself this is what i'm feeling you talk to yourself so yeah i i think there's a fine line there's a distinction and you yeah yeah so what would you advise what is your um yeah to you know to people who might be feeling numb or people Mm. can't express their feelings and they want to what your what would your advice be sure i mean they are two different things and and interrelated people who feel numb um i talk about this on my website as well feeling empty and numb if you search for that feeling empty and numb where people feel numb because they don't they have been hurt before and they worry that if they hope again, they will be disappointed. If they love again, they will be betrayed on a subconscious level. So you can imagine yourself having a shield, a protector, and the protector is standing in front of you trying to protect you from feeling or from connecting with other people. And rather than hating this numbness of the protector, you, you talk to them. You say, hi, <laughs> you've been with me for ages now. What are you trying to do? How are you trying to help me? Thank you so much for helping me from getting even more traumatized and hurt when I was younger. But I think I'm ready to take on the world. And, you know, I think people are afraid of feelings, are f- afraid of being consumed by the feelings, being swamped and being in this control. Or, you know, yeah, it's a sense of powerlessness. That's stopping people from bravely acknowledging feelings. But actually, maybe we need to recognize that we're no longer a small person. We are much stronger now. Even though we have been hurt and badly, badly hurt before, doesn't mean we will always be a vulnerable person. So we can feel hurt and sad and angry and bounce back from it. This is a human dance. We feel joy one day and we feel sad the other day. And we feel good and then we feel bad. 
and we can fluidly live in that place rather than being very rigid and trying to only feel this or only feel that. Embrace the full palette. As for expressing the feelings, well, it takes some work to find a way where you respect both yourself and others. It's about boundaries. It's about negotiating space between yourself and others. It's about respecting both your rights and others' rights. You know, they have a right too to have a good communication with you to know how you feel. You know, there's ever only one you in this whole universe. And if you don't express what you express, no one will ever hear what you have to say. So I think it's your right to have a voice. And, you, you, you know, expressing your feeling doesn't mean being aggressive. <laughs> There are many different ways of expressing your feelings. And we can learn them. It can be very empowering. It can definitely mm. be very empowering. Mm. Well, it's been such a pleasure to have you in my podcast. Is there anything you would like to add before I let you go? Yeah, not 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 in particular, but um, whoever you are, wherever you are, honor who you are. You know, I want to let your audience know that they really have the right to have a unique life path that belongs to them, outside of all societies, parents, um, school scripts. Yeah, I would encourage people to embark on the journey of finding their true self. That's how I want to end it. <laughs> well, thank you so much again for your time. I will leave you guys uh, Amy's links down here to her website and to her podcast so you can hear her as well. And uh, well, thanks again for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to The Honest Uproar a podcast where modern, child-free women share their life stories and where we discuss important topics for the kid-free community. We hope you tune in next week for our newest episode. And since we love hanging out with you, please be sure to follow us on social media at The Honest Uproar and visit our website at thehonestuproar.com. If you like what you heard, feel free to share with your fierce, child-free firecracker friends. Until next time, continue fueling your inner fire. <laughs>